0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: I'm really bad at having fun.
2: This is Cindy Liu, and she's kind of being hard on herself. She has a lot of fun when she works as a public health researcher. And fortunately, Cindy married another dedicated public health researcher named Lance Price.
1: In fact, our honeymoon... Is a scientific conference. He decided there was this conference that was really important that he must attend.
3: I mean, that was was the first one on this topic.
2: The conference was about antibiotic resistance in factory farming. And that wound up being fitting. Because factory farming became a theme not just in their honeymoon, but also later on in their research together. It all started when Lance and Cindy got to talking about some research findings around factory farmed meat.
3: When I looked at turkey products, when I looked at chicken products, 80, 90% of them were contaminated with E. coli, which indicates that 80, 90% were contaminated with feces.
2: So that obviously is gross, but it gets worse. E. coli comes in many forms, and Lance and Cindy were worried that the meat contained one particularly scary group of E. coli. This is not the kind of E. coli we hear about on the news, the kind that causes gut problems. These E. coli are actually fine when they're in your gut,
3: but when they move out of your body, they can get into your urinary tract. They can set up an infection that can be deadly, actually. So it can it can go from your bladder and your kidney and your blood. And they
2: were especially worried about one particular strain called ST131. It's resistant to a lot of antibiotics, which makes it hard to treat.
1: So all around the world, it's responsible for many of the more severe E. coli infections, like the blood infections, like sepsis.
3: This thing kills probably 10,000 people a year in the United States, but bacteria just don't get the attention they deserve. So Lance and Cindy started to wonder, what if you could get these
2: deadly E. coli from the meat you eat? From the Fox Media Podcast Network, this is Future Perfect. I'm Dylan Matthews. This season, we're looking at how the meat we eat affects us all. We want to understand what it means for animals and for workers and for the environment. But also what it means for our health. Today on the show, Lance and Cindy conduct a study that raises a troubling question. Is the way we raise our meat making us sick? And is it ruining our best tools for treating that sickness? Bert Pinkerton reported this story for us.
4: Lance and Cindy wanted to figure out two things. First, if these dangerous E. coli were on meat in the first place, and then if there was a clear link between the dangerous E. coli on meat and the same E. coli in people. There were some broad studies that suggested a connection, but Lance and Cindy wanted something more concrete. So they set off on something even more fun than a honeymoon at a scientific conference. An ambitious, year-long study of meat bacteria. At the time, they lived in Flagstaff, Arizona, which it turns out is kind of a perfect Goldilocks city for experiments.
1: Yeah, so the good thing about it is that it's not too big or too small. It's like a baby bear, you know.
4: And it's kind of isolated, a couple of hours from other cities nearby.
1: So you have this captive population, if you will,
4: Meaning that if someone got a UTI, they probably got it locally. So, Lance and Cindy had their perfect study setting, and next, they needed their raw materials. They got UTI samples from the big hospital in town, and for the meat, they wanted to get samples from all the big companies over time. So they put together a detailed list of all the turkey and the chicken and the pork cuts in all the supermarkets in the area. And every two weeks for a year, their research assistants would take that list and drive to one store after another to buy a whole lot of meat.
3: People just probably thought they were on the caveman diet or something.
4: Okay, fair warning, things get a little gross here, but they would bring these stacks and stacks of packaged meat back to the lab. Then they would cut off little pieces and they would put them in a heated broth so the bacteria could grow.
3: And then the next day we'd come and get the soup bag and the soup had gone bad overnight.
1: And then when you open that up, uh, it's uh, what we call the smell of success, which is. uh,
3: It was like, I don't know. Do you have a sibling? Yes. Did did any of them ever hold you down and fart in your face? This is just (laughs) like that.
4: (laughs) When they analyzed the results, they got their first taste of success. Right off the bat they found that dangerous strain of E. coli that had them so worried. This was a breakthrough. People hadn't been totally sure that this strain was present on meat samples. But it was only the first step in Lance and Cindy's quest, because now they had an even more fun task. They had to figure out, was there a link between these dangerous meat E. coli and the E. coli in their UTI samples? Could people have gotten their UTI infections from the meat? Lance and Cindy had a plan for tracing that connection. They thought that E. coli might change a little, depending on what host they were in. Almost like changing in and out of a uniform. It kind of reminds me
3: of the scene from Forrest Gump where he's sitting on the bench next to the nurse, right? And he looks down and he goes,
4: Those must be comfortable shoes.
3: And then he says, he quotes his mom, right? He says, uh... i am always said there's an awful lot you can tell about a person by their shoes, where they go, where they've been. This is what we're trying to do, is we're trying to find what shoes E. coli are wearing so we can figure out where they've
4: been and where they're going. So did you find it? Is there an E. coli chicken shoe? We found the chicken shoes. More specifically, the E. coli from the chicken meat had a special extra piece of DNA known as a plasmid. So if we're talking about footwear, Plasmids are like nurse shoes. When a bacterium goes into a chicken gut, it'll slip these plasmids on. And the plasmids give the bacteria tools to get through their day in the hostile chicken gut. Just like a nurse's shoes help them stay on their feet for long hours and protect their toes from dangerous objects.
3: But if you move them in a different host, you know, a mouse and presumably a human.
4: That's the equivalent of our nurse deciding to go for a hike or something. It's a different environment. So now the bulky nurse shoes aren't as helpful anymore. They're heavy and awkward and kind of goofy looking. So after a while,
3: they're gonna chick out they're gonna chuck out that plasmin. Chick out. Chuck out. <laughs> they're gonna kick out that plasmin.
4: Chucking, kicking, whatever. The point is that Lance and Cindy's UTI samples came from humans. Which means if the E. coli in those samples were wearing chicken shoes then those E. coli must have been in chickens really recently. Otherwise, they would have taken off their awkward chicken nurse shoes and swapped them out for shoes that were good for hiking through the human gut. So this was the moment of truth. After months and months of work, Lance and Cindy looked at their samples and...
3: So yeah, we found E. coli from people had these, these chicken shoes, right? So they had these plasmids, this piece of DNA that clearly is associated with E. coli adapting to a chicken.
4: This result was a big deal. Wired magazine described it as a smoking gun because the narrative until this point was that you could only get this dangerous strain from other people. But here was this year-long, in-depth study suggesting that no, you could also get it from factory farm meat. Lance and Cindy think it's probably a matter of, like, touching the raw meat and then touching some other food. So when you eat that other food, bam, you just ate dangerous E. coli. You have an infection, and you can pass it on to others.
3: So Flagstaff's a small town, and we found a handful of these cases. But when you scale that to the country scale, we're talking about 30,000-plus Infections, foodborne infections, just from this one strain.
4: And remember, this strain can lead to more than just a urinary tract infection. It can lead to terrible complications and even death. So, when you find all of this, are you all like horrified? Like, <laughs> what are you thinking?
1: I think really seeing it in front of you with actual data after a year, more than a year uh, worth of hard work, it's scary.
4: But the fact that we can get this dangerous bacterial infection from factory farmed meats, that's actually not the only thing that has Cindy scared. There's something else. Something that's scary, not just for meat eaters, but for everyone.
1: For me, this is actually what keeps me up at night.
4: More on that after the break. Welcome back. Lance and Cindy's study is actually part of a much longer history, the history of antibiotics. In the early 1900s, when scientists in the U.S. and abroad first figured out how antibiotics worked, they were very excited about them. Clinical tests of streptomycin indicate amazing effectiveness against a wide range of disease-producing bacteria. In the 1940s and 50s, there were television specials and promotional videos like this one. They were all about amazing new drugs, like streptomycin and tetracycline. How much human suffering allayed because of streptomycin and the other antibiotics, which among them have
1: drastically altered the world's public health picture in a single decade.
4: These drugs helped us fight tons of infections, like tuberculosis and syphilis. Infections that were once totally devastating. Which of them will be the next to fall before well-organized fundamental research? — But at the same time as these antibiotic tools were being used to fight infections in humans, another revolution was also happening. A poultry revolution.
3: — The chicken of tomorrow.
4: — A race was on to develop better, fatter birds.
3: — A broad-breasted bird with bigger drumsticks plumper thighs, and layers of white meat.
4: And chicken feed was a big part of that race.
3: Not
2: so long ago, chickens lived on a few handfuls of grain, table scraps, and whatever else they could scratch from the ground. Today, we've learned that we can't take out of a bird what has not been fed into it.
4: And this is where our two scientific revolutions collide. Because poultry growers started feeding chickens careful diets. And those diets started to include some of these amazing new antibiotics. So in addition to fighting human infections, they were being used to keep poultry healthy in cramped, crowded spaces.
2: Today, commercial mixed feeds are scientifically compounded, promoting maximum performance and profit through improved growth and production.
4: And nowadays, the U.S. is still using antibiotics in our feed, not just for chickens, but for beef and pork, too. It's millions and millions of pounds of antibiotics every single year for the billions of animals that we raise for meat. And the biggest issue here is we're not just using these antibiotics to treat animals that are sick. We're giving them to healthy animals. So using antibiotics to keep sickness from happening in the first place.
3: Next,
2: we'll look at antibiotic-resistant infections.
4: In the last few decades, we've started to hear a lot of news like this. A global
0: health alert tonight warning minor infections could become deadly if people continue to overuse antibiotics. The world is entering an
4: antibiotic crisis that could make routine operations impossible and a scratched knee potentially fatal. Overuse in human medicine is a key part of this crisis. But it turns out that overuse in factory farming also plays a role. It goes like this. The bacteria living in the factory farmed animals become antibiotic resistant, which means the bacteria on the meat, bacteria like E. coli, also has a lot of antibiotic resistance. And that brings us back to Lance and Cindy's study and why the results of that study keep Cindy up at night. Because remember, they showed that we can get infections from E. coli that's on our meat. But what if the bacteria on that meat, these bacteria that can infect us, what if they're also resistant to antibiotics?
1: A lot of them were, especially to antibiotics that are commonly used in raising chickens, for example. So we saw a lot of resistance to antibiotics like gentamicin and tetracycline.
3: So if you're using tetracyclines and antibiotics in large quantities like we do in the United States, then E. coli are going to become resistant to those antibiotics. And when those E. coli move from poultry to people and people get a bladder infection with E. coli, you can't use tetracycline to treat that infection. If you did treat it with tetracycline, the treatment would likely fail and the bladder infection could progress to a kidney infection. Well, once it's in your kidneys, it has access to your blood and a blood infection with E. coli can kill you. Right, So a, a bladder infection, because of antibiotic resistance, can go from a painful annoyance to a deadly infection. And that's what we're seeing, is that people are getting these drug-resistant bladder infections that then progress to what we call sepsis, so really serious blood infections.
4: Lance and Cindy's study is definitely not the first time that people have raised the alarm about factory farming and antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And to a certain extent, we've gotten more careful in the U.S., we're still giving animals antibiotics that we need to treat dangerous human diseases. And in the meantime, we've also exported our model of raising animals all over the world. And
1: bacteria, they do not respect boundaries.
4: Which means that this isn't just an American problem, it's a very global problem. Take, for example, the story of Colliston.
3: Colistin is an old antibiotic that had been long abandoned because it was toxic and some new antibiotics had come along that were more effective and less dangerous.
4: But as bacteria have become more resistant to the antibiotics we have in heavy rotation, doctors have started using colistin again. It's like a break glass in case of emergency backup option, our last resort antibiotic. But we may not have that option for long because it turns out that factory farm pigs in China were getting colistin in their feed.
3: I have a a colleague that's working in China and he's looking at uh, the E. coli that are in their animal populations there and in their food supply. And he finds E. coli that are resistant to colistin, this last drug.
4: And it turns out that this E. coli is not only really good at resisting colistin, it's also really good at teaching other bacteria to resist colistin it passes on key pieces of genetic information.
3: Right, so this is just, it's just everybody's worst nightmare when it comes to the evolution of untreatable E. coli.
4: When bacteria develop antibiotic resistance in factory farms in one country, they don't just stay there. They spread to other countries. And as Lance and Cindy showed, the bacteria don't stay on meat either. They hop to humans and spread around some more. And as they spread, they make it that much harder for us to fight back diseases.
3: My sister had bone cancer just two years ago. The first four rounds of chemo, she had three bacterial infections. If any of those had been super resistant, she could have died of a $20 prescription. A failure of a $20 prescription. So they're... in thankfully she survived and none of those infections were super resistant but as bacteria become resistant to all of our antibiotics because of our overuse in animal production and in human medicine we are not going to be able to save people the way we have in the past which is by just giving them an oral antibiotics or in really extreme cases giving them an an injection of antibiotics or a drip of antibiotics
4: Last year, the CDC put out a report saying that every 15 minutes, someone in the U.S. dies of an infection that can no longer be treated effectively using antibiotics. You've been listening to this episode for at least 15 minutes. We're a long way from the days of those early promotional films. The
2: antibiotics uh, Seems quite likely that in time we may actually be able to control most of the infectious diseases that plague mankind with them.
3: Those days are well, I shouldn't say those days are over, but I can just tell you that we are entering a period where more and more infections are resistant to almost all of our
4: antibiotics. What what do we do? <laughs> like what, what do we do?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I I don't
4: have a simple answer, but but Just so we don't end this on a total downer, we do have some options. We could learn from Denmark, for example. It is a leading producer of pork in the world. It has very big industrial farms, but in Denmark, they have successfully brought antibiotic use way down. They focus on treating sick animals instead of just feeding antibiotics to all their animals all the time. And their pig populations have not gotten terribly sick as a result. You can use antibiotics
1: responsibly and still, you know, run a profitable uh, business.
4: We could also look to Quebec. Chicken producers there used to inject eggs with antibiotics. And then the government approached them and said, essentially,
3: Please stop doing this and and please is more effective in Canada, I guess.
4: When the Québécois stopped injecting eggs, it brought resistance to that particular antibiotic way down in the region.
3: So a direct positive impact. So if we stop doing this, we can reverse this in a lot of cases. In some cases, the cat's out of the bag, right? We've released these bacteria and there's no getting them back. But in some cases, if we decrease substantially unnecessary antibiotics in animals and we decrease unnecessary antibiotics in people, we could turn this around.
1: Something really has to be done. Poverty, hunger,
2: and disease. This episode was reported and produced by Bert Pinkerton and edited by Amy Drozdowska. Our hosts are Seagal Samuel and me, Dylan Matthews.
1: These three ancient enemies of man still stalk hand in hand of the three disease can be said to be the
3: most deadly.
2: Jillian Weinberger is the senior producer of this show and Jared Paul mixes it. Liliana Michelena fact-checked this episode. And Liz Nelson is the executive producer for Vox Podcasts.
1: This is the story of how one of the mightiest weapons against disease was forged. It is the story of penicillin, the first of the modern wonder drugs known as antibiotics.
2: Viveka Morris from the Yale Law, Ethics, and Animals program advised us. Thanks also to Laura Rogers and Srinivas Ramamurthy for their help. Music in this episode from APM, Jared Paul, and Chris Zabriskie. We're grateful to Lauren Katz for her social media work and to Kate Daly for all her help. And this podcast is made possible thanks to support from animal charity evaluators. They research and promote the most effective ways to help animals.